Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. It's just one verse. Uh, it's a short verse. We can all say it together. It's right up here. Come on, let's shout it out together. You must not steal. Let's say it together. Go. All right, amen. Please be seated. The year 1986 was a milestone year for me. It was a year that I uh, answered the call to preach uh, the gospel. It was the year that I proposed to my wife, uh, ran and won student body president at Grammar State University, got married uh, to Rhonda August the 2nd. And what, what was unique is that in September, I started my final year in school, in college, as a student body president. But because I was married, they had to make special arrangements for Rhonda and I so that we could have uh, a place together on campus and because uh, we didn't have any co-eds, any stuff like that back then. So I had to spend three weeks off campus. And one of those weeks, we were supposed to spend three weeks in this house, but we only spent one week there. And I'll explain to you in a minute. And the reason being that we discovered that this house that we were staying in while we were waiting for them to get stuff straight onto campus, we first thought it had a mouse problem. We later discovered it had a mice problem. <laughs> and Rhonda had married me on August the 2nd. We're about four weeks into our marriage in this house and we discover we have a mouse problem. Rhonda makes it absolutely clear to me that I needed to find a way to resolve this mouse problem. Otherwise, she had legal grounds for a divorce. <laughs> <That's> so serious. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the landlords were in denial. And so I had to go get a, a trap. And you've seen these traps that you get. And so I got the trap, and I got some cheese. Everybody shout cheese. And I put it in this little thing, uh, and you got to do it right so that when the mouse pulls on it, it can't easily, you know, he's got to work at it, and that triggers the trap. So, uh, so I fixed it up, and, and in the middle of the night, I heard something go pow. Now... For those of you who are mouse lovers, uh, I apologize in advance, but this was music to my ears. And, and I went in to uh, see the mouse was, you know, and uh, the, cheese, the cheese was still in his mouth. And now I'm sure the mouse would disagree with me, but from my perspective, he was a thief. That was my cheese. And as a matter of fact, he had been stealing from me for the, for the bulk of that week. Bread, holes in the bread, pulling out cotton stuff out of the bed. I was so... Had I thought about it, I would have quoted this script. I didn't think about it. But had I thought about it, standing over him, I would have quoted Exodus 20, 15. Thou shalt not steal. So, while it's a little hilarious, here's the point. In a society that shapes itself around cultural norms that make stealing acceptable, 
is creating a dangerous environment. And any person who draws value from a lifestyle that accommodates stealing is living a dangerous life. Because life is so structured in a way, as what my granduncle used to say, it, you might get by like that mouse. He got by for a good week, for at least almost a week. But you won't get away. Somewhere along the line, the trap happens. Now, put a pen there. I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. Broad picture, Ten Commandments. Here's a couple of basic points about the Ten Commandments that's important to know. One, they teach us that God loves us. That the God who rescued Israel out of slavery is the same God who shows up in Jesus Christ and ends up on a cross dying for our sins. Paul says he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God and uh, uh, the, shifted the ecological physics of the world. And though he was dead, he came back to life again. And the message being that God says to you and God says to me, there are no limits to which I will go to for you. That's the God that loves you. And if you come here on a weekly basis, you're going to hear this message in a thousand different ways. God loves you. Tell the person next to you, God loves you. Tell them. But the Ten Commandments also teach us God loves others. Not just you. But God loves others. This is important to know because, because otherwise our faith becomes narrow and self-centered, self-focused faith. But the God who loves us happens to also love others. So the Ten Commandments teaches, hey, honor God. But it also teaches, honor others. Honor your parents. Honor the life and bodies of others. Don't murder. Honor the property of others. Don't steal. Honor the marriages of others. Don't commit adultery. Honor the reputation of others. Don't lie or bear false witnesses, etc., etc. You see, honor others. Why? Because God loves them. There's a second reason. If you live long enough, you will become the other. See, right now when you hear the Ten Commandments, you think about it from the commanded perspective. You know, love your, uh, uh, honor your parents, your father and your mother. And, and you're thinking about, man, I see all the flaws. You know, that's a good scripture, but you, you just don't know my father, Right? Or, or, or thou shalt not kill and you're just thinking about, you know, that person who's done the most horrible thing to you. And, you know, you feel like you're really justified to kill. Or, or thou shalt not commit adultery and you're thinking about, but, you know, we love each other. And that's just so unfair, right? Or thou shalt not steal and you're thinking like, well, you know, they got a thousand of them. They won't miss this on my job. Come on. But if you keep living, you will become the other. Because one day you're going to be the parent and you're going to love it that the scripture says to the children, regardless of my flaws, honor your parents. Jesus said, that's, I, amen. 
right? Right? And you're married and somebody's coming after your husband or your wife. I mean, you're going to remind them, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you don't want anybody stealing from you. Here's a subtle teaching of, the, of all of the commandments. This is a subtle teaching. It's a powerful point, though. It's a subtle teaching. As you are, so goes your family. As you are, so goes the community around you. In other words, be what you want others to be. New Testament, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A little insight. Nothing illustrates this more than stealing. All right, let me give you a definition of stealing. Here's a definition for stealing. To take uh, other people's property without permission. Everybody say without permission. I'm going to say it louder. Without permission. Thank you. In, with, inside of secrecy or by force. In many ways, it's a reaction against the slavery narrative that these people came out of because uh, God has delivered them out of slavery. And in the chattel slavery that the Israelites experienced under Pharaoh, uh, there, there was no such thing as, I mean, they, the, the, the Pharaoh and the powers that be, they dishonored your, your, your family structure. They could snatch you from your family and put you where they wanted to. Uh, for them, there was no such thing as don't murder, right? Because if you, were, if you produced uh, your production level went down, or you made somebody upset who had more power than you, they just kill you and just move on. Uh, there's no such thing as don't honoring your marriage, because if you're in slavery, uh, and, and the person above you who had power wanted uh, your spouse, they just came and got it. There was no such thing as don't steal, because you didn't own anything if you were in slavery, if you thought you owned it, but you actually didn't own it, because whoever, they just came and got it. So what God is saying is that I'm creating a new reality here and there's no big use, or, uh, a little, uh, big eyes, a little use. In this sense, we're all responsible. We, are, we have a mutual accountability for, for creating the kind of culture that will protect and bless all of us. Therefore, don't steal. Now, one of the problems that happens when we have a culture that accommodates stealing is that this, I talked about this last week, the fabric of trust is destroyed. And when the fabric of trust is destroyed and when untrusting is reinforced, uh, what, what that creates is people who are cynical and apathetic. Now, if you don't believe that fabric of trust is destroyed, just check out how many things you've got locked up. Right now, our cars are parked on the church parking lot. I guarantee you that most of our cars, including mine, is locked up, right? As it should be. And at home, there are locks on your doors. There's an alarm inside the house for some. For others, Comcast, you put cameras in, right? For some of us, all, most of us, we've got a lock on our phones. And then you've got apps that have locks. So you've got locks inside of locks. Why? Because we just don't trust. We know people steal. Now the question is, do you steal? All right. I've given you the definition. Let me just go through some. Uh, I got this from Mark Driscoll, and I thought it was a good list of some ways that we steal. Just listen. Embezzling, unreasonable high interest rates, unfair payday loans, break-ins, rigged gambling games, shoplifting, 
identity theft, misappropriating companies' funds. All right, most people look and say, I don't do that. Keep listening. Underpaying your taxes, false insurance claims, false billing claims. You know, I file, I'm, I'm building the company for hours I actually didn't do. False billing on employers, illegal downloads, intellectual property theft, plagiarism, plagiarism, plagiarism. Whatever the word. <laughs> plagiarism. You get the point. The fact of the matter is, we have a culture where stealing happens in so many different ways that we are pretty comfortable with certain ways of stealing. Let me focus on two. This passage, Thou shall not steal, I'm going to argue, number one is a directive to employers. We're going to put James, the passage that James writes up on the, on, the, on the screen in James chapter 5. Keep in mind, James is the brother of Jesus. Together, they're raised in the household of Joseph. Joseph is a carpenter. In his day, he was poor, seen in the category of poor and working class. We know he's poor because when they got ready to take Jesus to dedicate him in Luke chapter 2, they couldn't pay the offering, uh, which was a lamb. So they, there was a provision made in Leviticus law for if you were too poor to do that, you could bring two turtle doves, and that's what they brought. So we know that Joseph was poor. We know then, therefore, since he was a carpenter, that every check he got probably meant food on the table. And every check he did not get potentially meant the opposite. So James, who grew up in that house, writes this. For listen. Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of the heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. Translation, pay people who work for you a fair wage. Don't take advantage of them. And what he's saying is God is on the side of the folk that you're taking advantage of and he will hold you accountable. You're fattening yourselves for the slaughter. James says, pay a fair wage. Here, there's two ways to rob people. I can take what's not mine or I can keep what's not mine. Pay a fair wage. That's a directive to employers. And then there's a directive to employees, right? Now, you're asking, well, how do we, how do I steal? And one statistic says that employees take more from their jobs, five times more from their jobs than what's stolen externally. Well, here's what that means. Here's what that looks like. You know, you're getting ready to go. You ran out of typing paper at home, so you just go to the cabinet. Remember, stealing is taking without permission. So you just go to the supply cabinet, you just get a couple of pads, and they got plenty in here, it's no big deal. And you take it home, and so you can do your, your work. Or you go in the stock room, and you know, they got thousands of, of all these different things in there. And you say, oh, I just picked two or three. These is not no big deal. They're not going to miss this. Somebody shout, stealing. Oh, let me give you another example. You get to work late. And you leave early. 
And for the six hours that you're supposed to be working, half of those hours you're surfing the web and on social media, doing Facebook and so forth and so on. And then the other little bit of time, you're talking to some of your next door cubicle friends. Come on now. And then when you're not doing that, you're complaining about having to be at work. A friend of mine said last week, everybody wants a job, nobody wants to work. <laughs> Stealing. I love donuts. If I go to, Dunk, if I go to uh, Krispy Kreme's and I pay for 12 donuts and they give me a box and I get home and I open it and there's five in there, I'm upset. So when your, employee, when your employer pay you for eight hours... And you give him five or six. Somebody shout, stealing. Stealing. Here's a passage. It speaks to it. The Titus text in, uh, 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 talks about this notion. Slavery in the Greco-Roman context was not chattel slavery that we know in terms of African-American history. Uh, for example, in the Egyptian uh, history, it was much closer to, you know, the slave owners would work side there. Uh, uh, they're quote-unquote slaves, more like indentured servants, but closer to our employee-employee system, but not exactly, but close enough for this passage to apply. So slaves must always obey their masters, do their best to please them. They don't talk back. In other words, honor the authority uh, under which you're working and then next. And by the way, don't steal uh, so that you might show yourself to be entirely trustworthy and good and that will make the teaching about God and our Savior attractive that comes from your life. In other words, don't show up late, leave early, surf the web most of the time, and then tell people what a great time you had at church on Sunday. Witness is messed up. All right? So, then there's this third category that I want to jump in real quickly. So, Employers pay a fair wage. Employees give a good solid eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. Don't cheat. Don't, don't sniff by. Be people of character. And then there's what I want to call dangerous, uh, uh, the, the, the dangerous kind of reasoning that helps to give shape to stealing. And I really just drop it here. It's the desire to get something for nothing. Or it shows up like laziness or being entitled. Okay, so let me talk about this. It shows up in a lot of different ways in our lives. It shows up in sex. Here's one way it shows up in sex. So the guy's standing. He sees the woman pass by. She's fine. He goes, man, she's fine. Here's the thought in his mind. I want to have sex with her. But... I don't want to have to worry about marriage. I don't want to have to worry about kids. I don't want to have to worry about bills. I don't want to worry about responsibility. I just want sex. I, I want something for nothing. Or the adulterer. I talked about this last week. You see the husband. Oh, he's a great husband. He's a great father. He's so attractive to you. And you're like, ah, that's the one that I want. The problem is you've forgotten all the years that his wife has put in making him a great husband, making him a great, uh, a great father, right? So you just want to pass over all of that and get something for nothing. 
This notion of being entitled that causes us to want to take shortcuts. That's tied to this question of stealing because the flip side of don't steal really has everything to do with a work ethic. All right? Now, this shows up in how we raise our kids. I was talking to Brother Jesse Cottenham. He's, over, he's here today. And a few nights ago, we were together. I was tracking with him. He was telling me about how he got into law school, which is a test school in San Francisco, high school. And he'd take his, 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 do his, his uh, classes. He organized in such a way that after the class was over, in around 1.30, he'd study for the next two or three hours before he left school because he left school to go get, because he had two jobs. So this is not working your way through college, this is working your way through high school. Two jobs. Compare this to the single mom who comes home, does the shopping, does the cooking, does the serving. Kids come, they eat, they go back and watch TV. She does the cleaning, puts everything up. Kids do nothing. You're raising you're teaching the wrong message. You can get something for nothing. Let me tell you how it looks in my life. Since I'm preaching this. Uh, uh, on Mother's Day, I took uh, my mother-in-law and my wife and everybody to Red Lobster. Because that's where my mother-in-law wanted to go. So, the adults are sitting around this booth in this table. My daughter and my cousins, the co her cousins, who are our kids, who we kids, are sitting in this table. We have our menu. We expect that they have kid menus. And so we order, and they order. About 30 minutes later, because it's packed, notice these orders come out. Two lobsters. Crab legs. So, you know, I'm watching. I said, wow, boy, somebody really ordered a lot. That's really amazing. <laughs> and, you know, they're walking by, and I expect them to keep walking, and they stop. And they put them on the kid's table. I said, well, hey, what, what? Wait a minute. I'm sorry, that's the wrong table. Did it go there? They'll say, oh, yes, it is. They ordered this. I said, what? I said, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It takes me a minute. My head's spinning. It's a lobster. So I get into a big debate about how did you take their order? Do they have credit cards? Do they have pay? Why didn't you talk to us? We're sitting right over here. Are you kidding me? Manager, somebody got to talk. <laughs> so anyway, they end up taking the food away, right? Taking it off our bill. So the kids go like, well, well what are we going to eat? I'm like, bologna. <laughs> you kidding? Okay. After I got over the shop, I then had to ask myself a question. What's my contribution here? What is it that I'm doing wrong that I'm raising kids who actually have the mentality to think that it's okay to order the most expensive stuff on the menu knowing they don't have a job? <laughs> Here's a challenge, and I'm almost finished. Here's a challenge. Listen to me. I think there are three reasons why we spoil our kids. And I don't want to use the word spoil. Here's what I want to use. Why we try to remove all the struggle from their lives. 
One is sometimes we feel guilty. We come out of divorce or we uh, are some other broken situation and we feel like we just owe it to them. Another reason is, you know, it's just too hard to kind of oversee them, right? We want them to wash the dishes, but we just got to tell them over and over. It's just easy for you to do it yourself. For some people. For somebody else, it's, well, they're going to school. As long as they go to school, I'll take care of everything else. But listen, listen to me really clearly. Doing well academically does not always translate into a good work ethic. But in all those examples, we're trying to remove struggle from the lives of our kids without realizing that when you remove struggle, you damage them. All right, here's the point. I read uh, just last night this article, and this is what they say. They said, birds, turtles, and snakes, they're born in eggshells. Most of them have a tooth that they get. And the way they get out the shell is that they got to peck their way and that the pecking is a struggle that they're engaged in. But if they can peck their way out, the shell opens, they get out, and the probability is they will survive the wilderness. And the tooth that they have to peck out, it leaves them immediately. What's the teaching? God has so shaped life in such a way that he's built struggle into the actual birthing process. Because those turtles, birds, and snakes who are unable to peck their way out or somebody opens it up to help them, they don't survive. So the struggle that's built into the birthing process, even vaginal birthing for human beings, is uh, oftentimes they say it's better than, than, the, uh, the, than, than when you have to, the cesarean because, because there is a struggle built in and there's something about struggle that drives development. So when you remove the struggle from your kids' lives, you mess up their development. And they grow up being entitled. They, they grow up feeling like the world owes them something. And then when they realize that the world, because when, when the world meets you, the world going to say, I don't owe you nothing. Right? And when the world doesn't produce, then that kid looks for a shortcut. That's where we get, thou shalt not steal. So let me, let me wrap it up here because I'm finished. So here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians 5. Right up here. So it says, if you've been a thief, all right, if you're an employer and you're not paying fair, ra paying fair raises, wage, wages, thief, if you're an employee and you're shucking, you're getting by not putting in the work that you're being paid for, thief, if you're the person who basically an adult who feels so entitled, you're always looking for a shortcut, you're trying to get something for nothing out of your relationships, uh, it's thief. If we're raising our kids and we're not giving them responsibilities and not chores, and we're shaping them in such a way that they are prone to become thieves. 
The text says, quit stealing. Everybody shout, quit. Quit. Instead, watch this, use your hands. Come on now, for, everybody say these three words together. Good. No, no, you got to say it real loud. Come on, say it again. God says, six days I've given you to labor. The seventh day is for Sabbath. The Sabbath work because he expects you to work hard. Development is tied to work. Good, hard work. Thank God I had to do chores when I was growing up. Thank God when I got 13, 14 years old, I had to get a job. I had to cut yards. I had to do, I was, I was doing puck wood. Thank God for that. Thank God my mama couldn't afford to give me everything I wanted. I had to earn the money and go with it, buy it. And if I couldn't buy it, I went without it. Because it underscored the value of good, hard what? Now watch this. And then, watch this, give what? Here's the teaching of the text. Don't teach your children to work hard so that they can become hoarders of money. Don't teach them to work hard so they can get all of theirs and keep it for themselves. That's destructive. The text says, teach them to work hard so that they can be concerned not just about self, but what? Others. Be generous. They can become blesses. Because if you live long enough, you're going to become the other. So what do we do as we close? Acts says, Peter says, what do you do? And Peter finished preaching to the folk in Acts 2. They said, okay, well, what do we do? Peter said, repent and turn from your ways and be baptized. My word for that is repent and commit. Say, God, I'm sorry. I see where I messed up. Let's do it right. Here's where baptism comes in at. In baptism, you realize, you realize that you have received from Christ an inheritance. You have received from Christ grace, mercy, and unconditional love. You received from Christ the power of the Holy Spirit. You received from Christ everything that you need to succeed, including struggle. And if you're Bill Gates, you're not going to go in somebody's store and steal. Because your life is already full. So I challenge you as we leave here, if you haven't been baptized, I want to challenge you today, even before you go home, you just come right up. We, gonna bap- we can baptize you. We got clothes for you and all that kind of stuff. We can baptize you because, because for some of you, the question is, am I ready to accept all that Christ has? And if I allow him to fill my life with all that he has, he will be, that, that, that feeling will begin to transform my appetite for shortcuts. And I want what God has for me and nothing else. So let me see your connection card. Let me see your connection card. Come on, wave them. Let me show them to you. Good, good, good. So under the response to the message, I simply want you to think about employer, think about employee, think about your propensity to try to look for a shortcut, to be entitled, think about how you're raising your kids, and then I want you to make a fresh commitment today and simply write these words, I will not steal. 
And for somebody else in here, it's time for you to be baptized. It's time for you to fully surrender your life to God. And so as the choir comes, as the praise team comes to sing this song, I just want you, if you're sitting with somebody, just let them know, you know what, I'm going to go up and be baptized today. They got it. They're going to take care of me because I'm ready to step into this new season. I want what I saw in these people's lives. And if that's the case, I simply want you to check baptism and get ready to come, whatever the age might be. God bless you.